So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 15, but we're going to read uh, through 3.13, and I'll read all of that, and then um, the title of the sermon today is called Deception. So as I was praying through this, I think I've shared this a couple of times this morning, so I think at this point it's kind of important to to maybe share this with you guys. I started praying, Lord, what do you, what do you want me to pr- uh, preach over? What message do you want your people to hear? And uh, the fall came into uh, Genesis chapter 3, came to my mind. And um, so I went through the verses, and I said, well, I don't want to do the whole thing. It didn't feel right, so I started praying some more. I actually prayed to see, God, are you sure this is what the message is? And uh, kept coming back to it, so I prayed the the verses that I'm about to read, I prayed back to the Lord. I love praying scripture back to the Lord. I know I've talked to you guys about that before. And I prayed it back to the Lord. And as soon as I got through uh, with my prayer with that, I said, this is it. So Genesis chapter two, starting with going through verse three, chapter three, verse 13. So this is what the Lord says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the garden the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave the names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall over, at, fall over the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to, to the man. Then he said, this at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of any fruit uh, any of the fruit of the trees in the garden but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some some to her husband who was with her. Then both of their eyes were open. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray. So Father, I come to you this morning and um, I ask for help. Father, I ask that not my words would be spoken, that, but only your words would be spoken, Father. I ask that you would prepare hearts and minds to receive your word to, here today, Lord. And I ask that your presence would be here in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this sermon today is called Deception. Um, Adam was set up in the garden. Uh, he got to name all the animals. He placed him in the garden. He gave him a job and he gave him a wife. Adam had perfect harmony with God and his wife in the place where God had prepared for them. Sounds a little like heaven, doesn't it? The place God had prepared for them. Then comes in the deceiver. Now, I don't want to speculate. In verse 1 at 3, 1, it talks about uh, a serpent, and there's been speculation as to whether the serpent was a snake or it was a reptile or a lizard or anything like that. I don't want to put any speculation on that. Uh, serpents are usually snakes, but um, the, uh, the, thing, the truth about it is, is that he was the deceiver. He was the evil one, and he was Satan himself, and, and they were having a conversation with him. Um, I want to stop there and say, uh, this is interesting to me, I, I think, in that, uh, that she was conversing with a snake. What's up with that? I mean, if a snake starts talking to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bolt and go the other way. Uh, you've seen Zookeeper. I mean, maybe some of you have seen Zookeeper when the, when the, the gorilla or whatever talks to, talks to the guy and he takes off. That would be me. I mean, I don't know how she stood there and had a conversation with a snake. I, was that common back then? I don't know. So anyway, um, enough on that. Uh, whatever he was, he was Satan. Adam and Eve were in the very place that God had told them not to be. They had placed themselves in proximity to the tree uh, that, that the Lord had commanded them not to go to. So they were in the very place that they were not supposed to be. And guess what? That's where sin was lurking, right? Sin, the, uh, Satan was there. Um, in John 10... John chapter 10, verse 10a, the first part of it. Jesus says, the thief comes, which is the evil one, to kill, steal, and destroy. And this was the beginning. This is, this, the evil one was there speaking little lies into their ears, appealing to their human psyche and placing doubt in the minds as to whether God truly does have their best interest in mind, placing stumbling blocks in the way of their relationship with the Lord. Verse, uh, chapter three, verse one says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The Lord said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, we, I'm sorry, we may not eat, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Um, God didn't say don't touch it. God didn't say uh, don't touch it. Where did don't touch it come from? Is that part of the deception? Adam and Eve, uh, Adam, did Adam tell Eve not to touch it? Because God didn't tell him that. Back up to uh, 2.16, Adam has a conversation with God before Eve is even on the scene. She's not even here yet. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, Adam, you may surely eat of the tree 
of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. I don't know where don't touch it came from. Uh, maybe it was Adam that told her not to touch it when he's walking through there with her. Did, did he say, we can eat all of this, all of this we can have. These two trees over here, don't touch them. Did he throw that in there? Because God didn't say that. Or is that something that Eve has thrown in there when she's having a conversation with the evil one, with, God, uh, with Satan, did, was she kind of, was she kind of, maybe ticked a little bit because she couldn't have those two trees. I can have all this, but I can't have those two. Was it, was it more flippant in, in her speech? She said, and we can't even touch it. As it was it put that way? Was, was the doubt already creeping into her mind from having a conversation with the evil one? Uh, verses, uh, chapter three, verse four through six. <clears throat> Let's go there. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate. And she also gave her, some to her husband who was with her. I won't even go there on that one. I could go there. And then he ate. Um, let's, let's look at that a little bit. It was good for food. All that was provided uh, was good for them. They had all the good that they needed, didn't they? They didn't need what these two trees were. It was a delight to the eyes. It looked delicious. It was appealing. And the tree was to be desired. The fruit is irrelevant I know everybody, all the pictures that you see, it's an apple and the bite's taken out of the apple like apple products. Just kidding about that. But uh, the, uh, it's an apple. It doesn't matter if it's an apple or if it's a fig or if it's a plum or whatever. The, the, um, the fruit is actually irrelevant. It may be something that we don't even know, not even aware of. Uh, when God locked up, the gar- locked up the garden, it may still be there and we don't know what it is. We've never even laid eyes on a, on a plant like that. But the main point is, that it was a desire to be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil and something to make one wise, to be like God. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Both of their eyes were opened at that point. And then chapter three, eight through 12. I'll just paraphrase through that because we all know that. We all know the story here. God was walking in the garden. He was looking for Adam. And then he called on him and said, where are you? And he said, I'm hiding because I'm naked. Um, who told you were naked? Why, are you, why do you think you're naked? What is the, what is the big deal with that? Um, so he says, have you eaten the tree which I commanded you not to? And then he throws Eve under the bus and said, that woman you gave me did it. I didn't do it. She did it and she gave it to me. She deceived me. And then Eve throws Satan rightfully under the bus and said, and then she says, uh, the serpent did it. But then we're back to, what is this you have done? And what they did is they fell prey to deception. They were deceived. Um, I've got an illustration here that I want to read, a story about deception, just kind of funny uh, in a way, you'll see. On April 30th, I mean, it's funny, but it's not, but anyway... It's funny to me. I have a different sense of humor than most people. On April 30th, 1943, the corpse of Major William Martin washed up on the beaches of Spain. 
When the body was examined, the Nazi authorities discovered not only the typical wallet litter, license, receipts, bills, pictures, etc., but a letter from a general to the now-deceased Major Martin alluding, to, alluding with subtle undertones <clears throat> to an Allied invasion in Greece. The Nazis, justifiably suspicious of being duped, launched an extensive investigation employing pathologists and document specialists seeking to authenticate the body of, and the letter. While the research unfolded, the Allied forces did something truly remarkable, something that appeared to validate the intelligence in the letter. They began troop movements, seemingly to stage, staging for an invasion of Greece. For the Nazi authorities, this confirmed the veracity of Major Martin's letter. Now convinced that the Allies planned an invasion, they redistributed their forces to fortify the Balkan Peninsula, pulling troops away from Sicily, just as the Allied troops had hoped. The whole thing was a ruse. The Nazis' army had been duped. The unwitting victims of an elaborate web of disinformation known as Operation Minced Meat. I love that title. The military buildup near Greece had been a typical ploy, complete with fake troops and inflatable plastic tanks. Major Martin was a real corpse, but the letter and identity were all fake, planted on the body as a diversion and how did the Allies fool the Nazi experts? Well, they created a backstory for Major Martin, which was so thorough and complete that it included running his, his obituary in a London newspaper. The Allied invasion site was, was actually Sicily, 500 miles away from Greece, in the very place where the Germans had withdrawn their troops to fortify Greece. The seduction of Nazis away from, the, away from Sicily to Greece had been called the most spectacular single episode in the history of deception. By staging for Greece, but landing in Sicily, the Allies pulled off an amazing head fake, completely outwitting the enemy. So, I think that's an amazing story. Friends, have you ever strategized your own little battle plan with your spouse or with your friend? <clears throat> Has your spouse or your friend ever said anything to you and you've said, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that to me something slip, it, uh, starts to fester and then the evil one slips in and starts speaking little lies into your ears? What did he mean by that? What does she mean by that? Then you start strategizing your own little mission of men's to meet. Well, I'm gonna say this and I know she's gonna say that if I say this and that'll set her up and then I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say and then I'll get her and that'll hurt her or that's gonna hurt him. Stop. It turns into a crazy cycle of deception and trickery, just like what was played on Adam and Eve. Christians, have you ever held a passive, aggressive anger towards a friend, a relative, a coworker, or maybe even someone at church? Let the evil one come in and speak lies into your ears, come in to steal, kill, and destroy? How do we combat that? I'm gonna tell you a story. I have uh, some of my best illustrations are on me. So I'm gonna tell you a story on me. Um, when I was working at the fire station, I had a really good friend of mine, his name was John. And uh, he and I became really fast friends. I worked there a lot longer than he did, but we became really uh, fast friends. Uh, we worked out together, believe it or not, I used to work out, I wasn't always carrying this thing in front of me. But um, he and I were workout buddies. And uh, I got to be on the first fire that John went on. We got to, I had the privilege of taking him in and say, we're gonna go in here, we're gonna go through these, is a uh, uh, convenience store, and I kinda knew the layout of it. 
<clears throat> we're going to go in this way. It looks like the fire's over here. We're going to go around behind the counter, and then the fire looks like it's in the back room. So we went and did that, and we're going to go straight out the back door. Bonds are formed when guys fight fire and go through something like that, uh, go through, th- through some things like that. So that was uh, kind of a first bonding for us. Our families started going out together and uh, doing things together. Well, one day at work, I uh, stuck my foot in my mouth. Um, John was, technically, he was the rookie on shift. I'm still going to stand by that. Um, because you're the rookie. When you're the last man hired in, you're the rookie until somebody comes in under you that's lower than you and you're a rookie. And I was the rookie for three years on my shift, so John was a rookie, and I'm going to stand by it. But anyway, it hurt John's feelings. I was talking one time, um, and I said, uh, I said, have John do it. He's still the rookie. Well, it hurt John's feelings. He'd been there over a year, and he wasn't technically on probation anymore. And, uh, and it hurt his feelings that I called him a rookie. And he gave me the cold shoulder for like three shifts or so or more maybe or something like that. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was something I knew I'd done and knew I'd said because it was a total change. So... I prayed about it, and I said, I said, John, can we go talk? Uh, I know I've done something, and, and, and we need to go talk. We need to get this out of the way. So we went and sat down at the kitchen table, and, and I'd already prayed about this, and I've been thinking about it. I said, John, I know I said something. I say things sometimes that, that are abrasive to people, and, and I know I do, and, and I know I've said something. And he said it. He said, he said, well, the other day, he said, it's kind of dumb. You said I was a rookie, and I don't feel like I'm a rookie anymore. And, you know, it just kind of hurt my feelings. And I said, man, I know. I'm sorry. I, I kind of figured that's what it was. And I said, I want to apologize. What I said hurt you, and I, I don't want to apologize for it. And, um, and I said, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Can, will you forgive me? And he said, yeah, yeah. And, then, and it was all, it was better. So... So how do we combat, combat that sinful nature? Because Satan was slipping in with our friendship and he was coming in, he was stealing it and he was destroying it. So how do we combat it? Well, we do it on our knees. So I'm going from, from, um, to read from Psalm 32. I don't have it up here, I apologize. You can turn there with me if you want, but I'll just read it to you. It's 32, and I'm going to read 1 through 5. <clears throat> and it's, it reads like this. It's, it's from David. It's a psalm of David's. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for the day for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. So confession. And acknowledgement, and I'm just, before I move on to this, I want to see. I want you. I want you to see this that that God's discipline and our silence. David was silent in this, where he said, "I kept silent, and my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long." He felt it. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Was God laying 
heavy on his heart? Was he weighing heavy on him? He felt it. He felt that he knew he needed to acknowledge his sin before the Lord. Confession and acknowledgement is an, is an admission that one has sinned. In verse 5 it says, I acknowledge my sin to you. He's acknowledging it to God. I did not cover my iniquity. Confession involves a rejection of the pattern that was first established in the Garden of Eden. There, Adam and Eve refused to acknowledge their sin. But instead, they shifted responsibility. They did some blame changing. They blamed each other. The fingers were pointing in a circle all the way around. It's someone else. But David acknowledged that, his, that he had sinned, that he had violated God's law, and he was sorry for his sin. He poured out his heart before God and asked him to, for cleansing, forgiveness, and for the restoration of joy. That's what we're after. The New Testament word for confession means to admit or acknowledge or literally say, something, say the same thing. Confess it back to him. Say the same thing. Confess your sin. Confession comes out of when one's view views himself as confession comes about when one views himself as God views him. Confession is saying the same thing that God says about one's sin. It is to plead guilty to the charges made by conscience. This concept of confession is crucial. By confession of sin only only alone. May Christians stand right before God. Confession and forgiveness through Christ uh, relieves pressure, which brings about psychosomatic effects of sin. But confession may not simply be a means to relieve misery. First and foremost, it must be, uh, it must be the attempt to tell God that he is right and we are wrong. We've got violated his laws. So we have a better Adam, don't we? We have a better David. We have Jesus. Jesus came as fully God and fully man, performed his ministry here on earth, was crucified, died, buried, and then he rose again on the third day and is sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for believers even now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the, truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, not through Adam, not through David, not through anyone else, not through ourselves, but only through Jesus. If you have unrepentant sin marring your life now, or do you, not, you do not know this Jesus, I ask that you refrain from the communion tables until you have done business with him and confessed your sins. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine teaches us to examine ourselves first, otherwise we will eat and drink judgment on, our, on ourselves. So we're going to take communion now. So when you're ready, if you want to take some time to be with the Lord. So if you need to do business with the Lord, you can say this little sample prayer. It's just a simple prayer that of confession is, Lord, I recognize that I've violated your law. That's simply man's law, and against you I've sinned. I confess to you, God, that I'm a sinner, for my sin is vile to you. And I have violated your law. Preserve me, O Lord, before you. We do this because on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And he took it and said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of Jesus.
in a like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is my body poured out for you. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Father, we come to you and thank you for this time that we can come and we can learn about you and we can reflect on you, Lord. Father, you are so good to us and you you provide so much wisdom for us, Father. The beginning of wisdom you teach us, Father, is, is fear of you. A healthy fear, not something where we are scared of you, Father, but something where we have holy respect for you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would uh, preserve us and be with us. Be with Mission Church. Continue to foster your spirit here, Lord. I'm not looking for high numbers. I'm looking for just you to be present among us, Father, and I pray that. I pray that you would help us pray that you would be uh, ever-present with mission, Father. Thank you for this time, that opportunity you've given for me to explore this and, and uh, be in your word before these people, Lord. And uh, I just thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.